0: So, we are on our text, Ephesians 5, to 24. Good morning. Welcome to our, yeah, welcome to our gathering. Well, let's, let's just get right to it, okay? I'm just going to get right into this because we've got a lot to, to deal with today. And uh, I, I guess some would say, well, you're, well, you're dealing with a slippery sub- subject today, Phil, submission of wives. Oh, boy. And uh, that's basically what I've been saying to myself all week. So, uh, you know, I, I've been praying, too, that, man, I would just be as gentle and as sensitive as I can be, and, not, not, and that's not easy for somebody like me, but just to, man, if you could just know my heart, and it's, <clears throat> my heart isn't to uh, correct people, it isn't to blow people out, it, it isn't to do any of that, it is to see people emerged in the will of God and enjoying every blessing that he has for us and and it truly just comes through obedience to him and these things and so and you know then part of me says well phil you know there's subjects that you'd like to dodge and all that but then you wouldn't be doing what the apostle paul said he are that we're to do as 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 preachers and that's to preach the whole counsel of god and so you know sometimes we just find ourselves looking at subject matter that's just real challenging you know and but i'm hoping that uh that that we will all see that there is an absolute beauty in God's design today and so much blessing that comes through it so but when we first open the bible uh, literally when we first flip the pages of the bible we see the book of genesis there right we see you know a lot of other things but then we see genesis that comes up and we look at chapters 1 and 2 we we do discover two very important things about God right off the bat first we discover that God is the creator He is the creator, he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, right? That's just how Genesis 1 starts. He's just created it all. Second, we discover um, that, you know, as the creator, uh, that he created all things in a particular order, which shows us that God is a God of order that he has ordered things to be a certain way, that he has a particular plan behind his design. So we see that he's the creator, and then we see that he's, the, he's an organized creator, that he has an order for things, and that he himself is a God of order. And, you know, you, you just look at the Bible there, and you, you, you immediately discover this order. You see that he created the heavens and the earth first, and then he created light, land, plants, trees, stars, the sun, the moon, fish, birds, animals, and the first human, Adam, and then the second, human, Eve. We can see that not only is he a creator and not only is he a a God that has ordered things in such a way, but that there is a purpose for his order or behind this order. Just a good example would be before creating Adam and Eve, he created land and light and the sun, which is heat and food. Why? So that the earth would be inhabitable. If you'd created man and woman on the, you know, first day, they'd have died of frostbite. So he, you know, he, I mean, this is a God who's got all things figured out and knows how things work and he does things in a particular order to bring about the results that he desires. There's a purpose behind why he created, you know, the heavens and the earth first and then these other things and then he gets to Adam and Eve and you know, those things had to be in place before he created human life so that the earth would be suitable or sustainable for human life. Another cool example would be behind the purpose of the order in, in, in this would be probably the positioning of our planets in our own solar system. Scientists recently discovered that Jupiter actually protects the earth. Jupiter produces an enormous gravitational field unlike any other planet in our solar system which literally deflects comets and asteroids away from the Earth. So if Jupiter was positioned just a few degrees to the left or to the right, it would not have that same effect and the Earth would not be protected the way that it is and it would become a target and likely be destroyed because there's a lot of stuff moving around out there in space. You just think about that for a moment. You have this creator, and he's, a, and, he's, and he's orderly, he's a god of order, and he orders things to be a certain way, and he positions things to be just right, and, you know, Jupiter didn't somehow through an explosion kind of end up where it is by happenstance, and wow, look, it's just perfectly there to, you know, to, to foster or cultivate life on earth or any of that, I mean, none of this stuff is happenstance, it's all by divine design, and with particular purposes in mind. Other examples of God's order can be seen in things like government. Government has structure. Uh, another great place that you can see God's touch of order would be in the military, where you have different ranks and these sorts of things. In Ephesians 5, 22, to chapter 6, verse 4, Paul set out, he literally set out to show the Ephesians that God has established order for the family he's done it for all these other things and he's even done it for our families now he 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 shows how God is a God of order he shows how God has ordered the family and done this strategically and for a purpose by giving three examples of submission in that long text wives submitting to husbands husbands submitting to Christ children submitting to parents there's the order reveals that God is a God of order and that he's ordered the family in such a way so this morning we're going to begin a another mini series within the larger series of Ephesians called the Christian family where we will take a look at these things where we're going to learn some things and we're going to deal with some words and things like that now I would just you know right up front say that if you're you know if you're single and you don't have a spouse, you don't have any kids or whatever, if you're single, don't be thinking, well, this series isn't for me because, you know, I don't have a wife that needs to submit to me. I don't need to do the rest of Ephesians or any of that. You, you know, you, you may very well get married in the future. You're going to need to be equipped so that you as a future wife and later next week as a future husband, you know how marriage works and how family works and you know these things. So don't, don't, you know, disqualify yourself right off the bat and say, well, it's, just it's a marriage conference. No, it's not a marriage conference. There's truth here for all of us. Maybe, um, maybe marriage isn't a possibility, you know. Sometimes God deliberately wires people to be single and keeps them single and And now you're saying, well, you know, I really don't have any intent or desire to be married whatsoever, and I don't think I ever will be. And so therefore, this is not relevant to me, too. Uh, Sure it is. You just think about the time we live in, in our culture, where marriage and family is under attack and has been for quite a while now, and as a believer, even if you choose to be single, never get married, you need to be equipped on what biblical marriage is, You still need to know the truth. You still need to have an understanding. Why? So that we can take a bold stand in our communities and lovingly defend marriage and the family. We need to be, as believers, salt and light. We need to preach the good news. We need to preach the good news in such a way that through Christ, God redeems lives, marriages, and families, right? Maybe you've been through a divorce. You know, and maybe... Maybe it was because of, of mistakes that you made, and I would say that every divorce is based on both people's mistakes and lack thereof. It's never just one person. Sometimes it can be, I suppose, but for the most part, you know, the common denominator in every relationship that you're in, and marriage or whatever, is you, you know, and, and we make mistakes, we blow it. Maybe, maybe you were caught up in some kind of infidelity or something like that, and that led to the destruction of your marriage, or maybe, maybe your spouse gave up on your marriage, and there was nothing you could do to stop them. That happens. It takes two people to reconcile and to work it out, not just one. I just want you to know this if that's you. The goal of this series, as I've already said, is not to grind you into dust, it's not to make you feel worse about where you've been or what you've done. As I said, we've all made mistakes. We've all erred. We've all blown areas of life. And so this is not about putting the hammers on people who jacked up in a marriage or any of those things. It's not about hammering the single folks. It's not. It's not about hammering the wives. It, God intends for what we're going to be talking about for our good and for our own edification and so i think with that out of the way we we can all kind of disarm ourselves and and know that you know that there is grace and mercy here and god intends for our best he really does now we do need to be equipped in this day and age don't we we just do. I mean, gosh, it's just unreal, some of the stuff that's going on. No matter which way you look at it, we need to be equipped on this subjects. We need to know God's design for marriage. We need to know God's design for the household, for the family. We need this stuff. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on over the next several weeks. I'm saying about three weeks, concluding today, but you know, you never know. Sometimes God changes it up. And I will say this, that if you come into this thing and begin it right now, and you immediately start by laying down the six shooters and humble yourself, that you could learn a thing or two, find yourself outside of the will of God, then resubmit yourself to the will of God and experience a tremendous... I I would say probably, especially with wives now, next week husbands, we're going to talk about that. But if, if you find yourself not aligned with God's will in your marriage, maybe in the area of submission or whatever... And you make this move in the right direction, what's gonna come to you and what are you gonna experience? I would say the best possible, most satisfying marriage you can experience between two sinners that are saved by grace. Can I get an amen? I mean, I just, so, no, so if you come into this, because I know, you know, people come in, oh, he's talking about wives submitting today. Uh, hey, Frida, do you got your bazooka? You know? We've got to blow him out of there. We have somebody named Frida here. I should have used a different name, but she's downstairs, so it's okay. <laughs> Somebody's going to tell her, hey, he used you as an illustration. And her husband probably does own a bazooka, so he'll probably blow me up. <laughs> He's got every other gun. If he had a rocket launcher on his back, you know. Um, but no, if we just, if we find that we're not aligned and that we work to align ourselves with God's will in this area in particular, then, you know, we, we will, I would say, experience and, and do husbands have a part? Yeah. So they've got to play. They've got to do their part. But man, we can have a great marriage. So this morning we're looking at part one, the role and priorities of the wife. We've already read our text. Let's pray and then get right to work, okay? Father, just humble us now and and may everyone in this room know that there's no perfect people in here. This pastor doesn't have it all down. And that uh, your intent here is to is to teach us and to train us and to educate us, not destroy us. And so may we just kind of lay our weapons down and humble ourselves before you and and just humbly listen to the scripture and to learn and to apply and to live out. Jesus, we thank you so much that without your work on the cross, none of what we're about to look at or talk about, we could even begin to grasp or engage in any of it. and So we thank you so much for your work. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. So I've divided Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, which is where we'll be, into four sections. We're going to look at the matter of submission, the manner of submission, the mode of submission, and the model of submission, okay? Let's begin with section one. You guys ready? Section one, the matter of submission, verse 22a, 22a, right off the bat we see it, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now what we see here in verse 22a is the first example of submission that Paul gave in verses 22 all the way through chapter 6 verse 4 as I mentioned. Wives are to submit to their own husbands. Now we looked at the word submit last week in verse 21 and the same word used here and some of your translations might say be subject to it's the same thing and it's the same word that we looked at last week it's hypotasso in greek and it means again just to remind us all to place under or to rank under so what paul is essentially saying is wives rank yourselves under your husbands okay and i know that already starts to tweak us (laughs) right So the first thing that we discover about God's design, according to this passage, the first thing that we see or discover about God's design for marriage and family is that really the husband is the head of the family and the wife is to place or to rank herself under his headship. It's the first thing we see. Now, headship basically means God appointed or divinely appointed authority, okay, So as head, the husband is the divinely appointed authority over that relationship, over that marriage, over that family, that household, okay? Now, I definitely want to talk about submission in in a lot more depth, and so I'm going to begin by telling you what it is not. Okay, because I tell you, it it becomes a a rub for us because we don't really understand what it means, at least from a biblical perspective. So here's six six things that submission does not mean. And and these were taken from a tremendous gospel coalition post I found by John Piper, who I really love. Okay, so the first thing that submission, it, it does not mean leaving your brain, speaking to the ladies, it does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. Okay. The way that I interpret his statement there is that, oh, submission means be robotic. Don't think for yourself. Don't have a will. Fulfill all of your husband's desires and wishes. I am programmed to do this. Thank you. I am talking like a robot because I am a robot, right? That's not what submission means. Doesn't have anything to do with like, okay, I know when I marry Saul, nobody's named that so I can use it. When I marry Saul, I can't think for myself. I don't have a will. No, that's not what submission is. That's not what it means, and unfortunately, some people think that's what it means. Secondly, submission, and it goes right into this, right? Submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Like, the trick husbands will try to pull is when they're talking or something like that to their wife, and their wife says, I don't know about that, then they say, you need to submit to me. Eh. What you might be saying, guys, is really Stupid. Really dumb, way out of line. You might be trying to take the family in a direction that's just stupid because we can do stupid things. I mean, who knows? You know, submission does not mean okay. When I when I say I do, I know I don't have a mind. I know I don't have a will, and I know I don't have any words. That's not submission. Okay, so it doesn't have anything to do with agreeing with everything your husband says. And let me tell you right now, if my wife, first of all, I'd enjoy it for a few minutes, but if she agreed with everything I say, um, we would be bankrupt 5,000 times on the streets going, "Ah," because, you know, I just, you know, I get my mind fixed on something. and There's everything to that, you know, and it just, if my wife agreed with everything. Now, my wife thinks that I should agree with everything she says. And I try to. I'm not stupid. I ain't mean, not talked about being a fool. But it doesn't mean agreeing with everything your husband says. And I think that some people out there would say, you know what submission means? It means you need to agree with everything I say. And you know, and now the husband's trying to put this poor wife under his thumb verbally and everything. It's ridiculous. Three, submission does not mean avoiding every effort. To change your husband. Right? Wives are like, this is empowering in here right now. Uh, this is my favorite sermon. Just wait a little bit. Right? It doesn't mean that, and I think sometimes guys will try to pull that on their wives, right? Like, you're trying to change me. That's not submission. you know. It, it, again, uh, just my own example. If my wife stopped sanctifying me and pouring into me and investing into me, Oh wow! It, it'd be it'd get real ugly, and I have to admit, just sometimes it's no fun. You gotta say that now. Yes. It just doesn't have to do with that. A wife should be now. There's a way to do it, right? You know, if it's just nitpicking, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know. But there's a way that a wife can speak to her husband and speak into her husband's life the the goal of the wife and the the desire of the wife ought to be that i want my husband to be like my savior i want him to be like jesus so if i constantly nag rag and hammer him he's probably not going to be like jesus he's going to be like lucifer (laughs) right and i hear lucifer is beautiful and attractive in the bible my husband's so-so I mean, the goal should be for the husband to the wife. I want her to be like Christ. And so how can I invest and build her up? And she should be doing the same thing. So it doesn't have to do with avoiding every effort to change your husband. Us as husbands, we need to change. We need your help. I need the help of my wife. Four, submission does not mean putting the will of your husband before the will of Christ. This is huge. Because sometimes husbands will want to take their wife and family in a direction that is not pleasing to Christ, and he will try to pull, we really do need that six garage place. You know, and he makes like three grand a month. He's really good at finances, obviously. And she's saying, no, and then he's saying, you need to submit to me, and no, no. You cannot, as a wife, it's not submission. Let's put it that way. Wives, it's not, ladies, it's not submission when you, you know, when your spiritual detector goes off and your husband's trying to get you to do something that shouldn't be done or isn't pleasing to Christ or going in a direction. You're not supposed to exalt your submission to him above the will of Christ. That's where it hits the the ceiling. And that's where you come in with a loving instruction and say, and it might really take him off, but, you know, he needs it. Don't let your husband, well, I wouldn't say don't let him because some of us are just bullheaded and we're going to try to do and maybe we need to learn the hard way, but don't, don't you involve yourself in his endeavors that just speak the truth and it does, submission does not mean that. It does not mean just, oh, just do whatever. Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength from her husband. It is totally true that a husband is to be the leader of the home in all matters, spiritually and in all these areas, but the wife gets her identity and spiritual strength from the Lord Jesus, not from her husband. And, you know, because a husband is going to be all over the place. One day he's like Jesus, the next day he's like Peter, and then on Thursday he's like Satan. We're just all over the place. I mean, we're just goofy. And so, you know, you can't draw what needs to be your husband's not a good well to draw from but you need to foster and cultivate his leadership in those areas as a wife you know but don't he's not he's not the source that's not where you're going to get your spiritual strength from you can get and draw some strength from your husband it's not going to where you're going to be made strong in the lord from him i guess he could edify and teach you and train you in scripture and that that'll build you up but he's just not the source at the end of the day so think of it like that submission doesn't mean that you know i just get it all from him No. And then also, lastly, six. Six, submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. Okay? Submission and fear are completely incompatible. They do not go together. All right, so a wife should not be submitting to her husband because she's afraid of him. That's not true submission. Now, I'm not saying that some men husbands can't be, you know, fear-mongering kind of controlling. Oh, they certainly can be. But submission is just, it's not for the wife. It's not based out of fear. Now, here's how Piper defined submission in the same post. He said this, and this is really, I think, helpful. Submission is the disposition, which would be attitude, to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. I'll read it again. Submission is the attitude, the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. To me right there, the way that he describes it, it sounds like a desire to be under his headship. Because that's really the starting point. If the desire isn't there, submission's not going to happen. But if you realize he's the head and you want to be in the will of God and in accordance with scripture and God's design, then you say, okay, I want to place myself. So it starts with that attitude, that disposition. I want to place myself under his Headship. And then he goes on to describe the attitude of a submissive wife. Now, check this out. He says, It is an attitude that says, I delight, this is a wife speaking, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. Okay, there's the right attitude. I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I am glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish. When you are passive and I have to make sure the family works. So that's the attitude. I delight in it, your headship, when you do that. I delight in your leadership. And quite frankly, I'm not hitting on all cylinders when you're not in the will of God doing your part. So that's the attitude of the submissive wife. He also describes the attitude as saying this. It grieves me, this is the wife speaking again, it grieves me when you venture into sinful acts and want to take me with you. You know I can't do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish most when I can respond creatively and joyfully to your lead, but I cannot follow you into sin. As much as I love to honor your leadership in our marriage, Christ is my king. Okay? So you can be actively Uh, living in active submission and resisting the foolishness and foolish direction that your husband might be attempting to take you down these paths or what have you. Now, let's just talk about some of the negative stuff here about submission. We've talked about some of it a little bit, but we know what it isn't. But I would say this, submission tends to be unappealing to wives for several reasons. Okay? Here are three. First, Submission is a rub against a woman's nature. (laughs) That was the first silent hallelujah of the service. Hallelujah, because when I hear it, woo! right? It's just a rub against a woman's very nature, right? Eve, the very first woman, was tempted to usurp her husband's headship, to step out of submission to him, to act on her own, and... (laughs) She gave in to that temptation, followed the serpent's instructions, ate the fruit, and guess what? Her progeny, all other women, have since been imprinted with the same desire to usurp male headship and be independent. So it's right there. It's like it's in the DNA. It's in the very nature. You hear the word and you're like, ooh, he better not talk about that. Right? That was my Clint Eastwood. So it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just like, it's just, ooh, makes my, the very, very light blonde hairs on my arm, because I'm looking at mine, and these are man arms, stand up, and it just, it ooh, just, because it's just, it's just a word that just hits you, and it's like, ah, uh, goes against your nature. The original mama. The thing is about before the fall, the evidence of her desire was already there, as soon as the devil came up with a great, you know, thing that just kind of played into where she was already headed, it was like, yes, independence. And every, everyone, by the way, not just women, every person has been imprinted with this distaste for submission. We might want to just make that clear. But it is a rub against your nature. Second, and this is a little harder to swallow, but it's actually true, God cursed women with an increased desire to rule men. It's part of God's curse. When Eve sinned, God pronounced a curse on her. He said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The curse had nothing to do... Guys try to say, look, God cursed her with something really awesome. She has a desire for me. And then we twist it and try to make it sound like intimacy and all that. It's not at all what he's talking about here. She's got a desire for her husband, but guess what? It isn't, he's just so fine. It's not what we wish, guys. We're like, look at that's an awesome curse. Curse her again, Lord. We've been married for 40 years. She's not showing much interest. Bruce is like, hallelujah, brother. (laughs) The curse, it didn't have to do with this desire for your husband. Like, ooh, I just desire him. The curse had to do with Eve having a desire to rule over her husband. That's it. But it says part of the curse is that her desire will be to rule over her husband, basically. But in fact, it says he will rule over her. Now, before sin, Adam and Eve enjoyed a mutually interdependent relationship. But after sin, the battle of the sexes began, literally. Husbands and wives now seek the upper hand in marriage. The husband who who was to lovingly care for and nurture his wife would now seek to rule her. And the wife would desire to wrest control from her husband. The curse is still in effect today. And this is why submission tends to be unappealing to wives. You have the battle of the sexes in our own marriages Husband's like, i got to rule her, and she's saying, I'm going to take that power from him. And then you just got... Okay, so that's the second reason. Third, submission tends to be unappealing because our culture has redefined it and made it a byword. Submission has become associated with things like slavery. You know, the thing that separates slave submission from wife submission is choice. That's the difference. Slaves are forced to submit. They have no choice, but wives are not. And I would say that probably some husbands are trying to force it, and that's why it's not happening. But wives are not forced to submit because they're not slaves. They are co-equals. They are co-inheritors of the very kingdom of God. They are equal right down the line. So they are not slaves or to be viewed as slaves. And submission is not to be forced. Now, if a wife chooses submission, they will please the Lord and they will enjoy greater, if not for the first time ever, harmony in their marriage. If they choose subversion, which is what many choose, trying to overthrow their husbands all the time, ah, ah. They will not please the Lord, and they will not experience harmony in their marriage. It's important that you hear that. Submission is not a byword. It is a biblical word, and it is never associated with force or fear in Scripture. Never. It is associated with a spirit-filled life and humility like in our text. There's the key. It is the spirit-filled wife who humbles herself and chooses each day to submit to her husband, placing herself under his headship. Strong emphasis on spirit-filled, because that's what Paul has been talking about. A spirit-filled life looks like this, looks like this, looks like this. And the spirit-filled wife submits to her husband. And and I said daily because it is right. It isn't like well when when we were at the altar, I made a vow to submit myself, and I've never had to revisit that. Oh, so you're superwoman? You have a cape. (whistles) Submission is something that we have to choose, ladies, like moment by moment, especially when our husband's being a meatball. Right? It's something that you have to choose. It's not forced. It's something that you choose. I would say a wife, a submissive wife, a spirit-filled wife, works to support her husband and to affirm his position, not to subvert. This is Paul's point in 22a. Now let's look at section 2, the manner of submission. Verse 22b, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. The manner or attitude of submission is to be as to the Lord. Everything we do in obedience to the Lord should, be, should also be um, done first of all for His glory and to please Him. Those to whom we submit, whether in mutual submission or in response to their functional authority, will often not inspire respect, right? They're not going to really do anything to foster a submissive attitude or respect. Sometimes they will be thoughtless, inconsiderate, abusive, and ungrateful, but the spirit-filled believer in this instance, the wife, submits anyways, because that is the Lord's will and her submission is ultimately to Jesus. Now, this is where I want you to pay very, very close attention, because we are about to shoot a sacred cow right in the forehead, and then we're going to strip it and we're going to throw it on the grill. I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say, ladies. Very close attention. You you ready? Let me see it. Lily, you can't do it in that posture. You can't, you can't, you can't. Oh, it's right here? That's why Cameron has a note sheet. Can't be right here with him. He's a guy. We can't multitask. Listen. There is a destructive lie out there that says that submission is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. In that wives are only required to submit to their husbands when their husbands do their part. Ephesians 5:25 to 33 that's where we'll look at a husband's part next week and I want you to notice ladies how you have a couple of verses devoted to you and there's a whole bunch of them to guys Do not believe this lie and base your submission upon his obedience to his own calling or upon his perceived worthiness, right? Because when he does his part, you, you know, you perceive him to be worthy of the things that you're called to do to him or what have you. If you base your submission to him on his worthiness or his ability to obey his own calling and what God says for him to do, Your submission is going to be, I mean, literally, it's going to be based on his level of obedience. It's going to be all over the place. It's going to be up and down and up and down and up and down because that's what his life looks like. Up and down, obedient, disobedient, obedient, struggle, whatever. So if you base your submission on his worthiness or ability to obey his own calling, your submission is going to be like his life. It's going to be all over the place. Now, this is what I want you to hear loud and clear. This is the truth. Wives. Your husband is not worthy of your submission. He is not worthy of your submission. And the guys are like, hey, husbands, you are not worthy of your wife's submission. You don't deserve her submission any more than you deserve God's grace. So guys, you need to disarm yourselves. You think you're worthy of it? You think you've earned it? She doesn't owe it to you. Wives, your submission to your husband needs to be based upon Christ's obedience and worthiness. He alone earned your submission, and he alone is worthy of it. Can I get an amen? And But here's the trick. The way that you submit to Christ is by submitting to your husband. That's what as to the Lord means. Don't base your submission to him on, well, you know, I'm basing it on how well he does and how well he does his part to love me and all that, because that's what we tend to do, right? And husbands flip it. We totally do the opposite. Well, when she starts submitting to me, I'll start loving her as Christ calls me to love her. Meanwhile, he's waiting forever. It, this is this not the way it works men you do your part ladies you do your part and don't base it on what the other person's doing it's all to be based on as to the lord at the end of the day he's the one that you're submitting to wives is to the lord and the same thing applies to husbands now we need to talk about the horizontal and the vertical a little bit when i was pastoring at big valley i had a Number of wives, seek counsel from me. Uh, Talk about a suicide mission. I just couldn't understand it. Maybe it was because their kids were in the youth ministry I was leading. They figured, I think the youth pastor can help me. I don't know why they were coming to me, but it seemed like there was a period in the season there where a whole bunch of them were coming, you know, and, and it's like, okay, yeah, I'll sit down with you. And, and they would usually, and it was funny, the scenario was kind of the same every time, they would usually begin, these wives would usually begin by describing their walk with the Lord, and, and how, you know, they were growing, and how they loved Jesus, and how they loved to live for Jesus, and all that, and, and then they would, you know, about halfway through the conversation, or maybe just a few minutes in, they would shift gears, and start complaining about their husbands. Well, I love Jesus, but my husband, oh, Wow. He doesn't come to church enough. He doesn't lead our family. He doesn't love me right. I'm thinking about separating from him. I'm thinking about even divorcing his butt. What do you think I ought to do? Now, I would begin by not saying, you know, well, don't divorce him. What are you thinking? You know, I would stop and go, Whew. I'd be like Solomon. Lord, give me wisdom to lead your people. What am I supposed to tell this gal? Obviously, her husband's a meatball, but Still. I mean, he's, you know, he's kind of a spiritual deadbeat and all that. I get it, and that's what really fires me up. But it's like, okay, so how am I supposed to minister to her? Can I go out of the room for a minute? I'll be right back, ma'am. <laughs> Lord, help me. And so I would begin by asking several questions. The first one I would usually ask is, is your, is your husband a believer? And the answer almost every time was No. And so I would say, so what you're saying is that you ex- you're married an unbeliever, but you expect him to behave like a believer. And you're, so you're, you ex- your expectation is really high and impossible for him. He doesn't have the spirit of God. He can't do anything. Well, I guess, but that's not the point. Okay. Oh, automatically, I can tell this is going to go nowhere, and I'm going to get blasted. And so here's the advice I would give very typically. I would say this, I would say, you know, ma'am, I I, I would humbly submit to your husband, which is pleasing to the Lord. I would do your best to set a godly example for him through a soft and quiet spirit, through your obedience to the Lord. I I, I would tell him something like, you know, don't grind him down, grace him up, right? Grace him up. Don't grind him to pieces, grace him up. Who knows, maybe you'll win him to the Lord. The scripture says it can happen, right? Right? There's, there's a lot of stuff that happens when a, when a godly wife, you know, sets an, a godly example to an ungodly husband. There's a sanctification that happens there and the scripture describes it pretty good and it's really cool. The Lord can work in that. And so I would tell them this and then they would typically respond with, I've been doing that for 15 years and nothing has happened and I can't keep doing it. Maybe I need to talk to somebody else. See, I wasn't giving them the answer that they wanted. Oh yeah, just divorce them. Who cares? I had a couple other scenarios where the husbands were believers, and I gave similar advice. Of course, that's a little more frustrating for me, because it's like, guys, what's going on here? But then again, if you don't meet with the guy and talk to him, how do you know you've got to get both sides? what I want you to take away from this simple story is that our horizontal relationships, relationships at this end, at this side, they affect our vertical relationship with God, if a wife is unwilling to submit to her husband, she is also unwilling to submit to Christ. That's just the truth. And see, the problem with these wives is they figured, well, this is perfect with him. It's screwed up down here, so I don't really, it doesn't really have an impact on my relationship with Jesus. Uh, yes, it does. You don't think it does, but it does. And I would say this, if a husband is unwilling to love his wife as Christ loves the church, he is also unwilling to love Christ. Jesus applied this principle to forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. He did. He said, basically, we will not be forgiven of our trespasses against God if we are unwilling to forgive others of their trespasses against us. Now, what really discouraged me about those and after those counseling sessions is that these wives believed that their relationships with Jesus were perfectly fine while their relationships with their husbands were going down the tubes. And you know what they were doing? They were lying to themselves they were we cannot be right with God while being at odds with our spouse or with others now I'm not referring to persecution people will hate us for loving and following Jesus and that does not affect in fact I think that accentuates and builds up our relationship with God when you're hated for loving Christ that doesn't screw this up but when we choose to hate our persecutors now we've screwed this up big difference Now, let me be a little transparent. I'd like to confess to you that I have great difficulty with God's design in this area. I do. To me, God seems easy to love because He's so good and kind and fair, but people are hard to love because they're usually none of those things, right? I tend to think like those ladies. I can be okay with God while being upside down with this person or that person, while having strife and trouble here and all that while being at odds with this person I I can even I can even have some kind of a little tiff with my wife and they're rare now but when we do I can walk away and go you know I'm so glad I have you Jesus and Jesus like get your butt in there and apologize to your wife no we're cool right he's like we're not cool what if I was to tell you and just to flip the script and tell you that God is not easy to love and you're thinking yeah he is Look what he did and all that. No, are you kidding me? You don't know your God very well if you think he's easy to love. The scriptures show that God has tied loving himself to loving others. If you don't believe me, just go to Exodus 20 and read the Ten Commandments again. Commandments 1 through 4 show us how to love God directly. Commandments 5 through 10 show us how to love our fellow man, which is basically how we love God indirectly. Jesus illustrated this profound truth in Matthew 25, 31 through 40, where he described how the righteous cared for the least of his brothers by loving them and by meeting their needs. In doing so, they also cared for and loved the Lord himself. God has tied loving himself to loving others. So I'll ask you again, is God easy to love? No, not at all. Oh, he's so good to me. He's so kind. Yeah, he is all those things. But if my loving my wife impacts this or is tied to that is requisite to my love for him then it's not easy to love him right now add in the whole idea of the way that we truly show our love to god is by obeying all that he's commanded wham loving god has to do with loving others and obeying his precepts his law the truth so is god easy to love no. And you know what those wives were doing? They had convinced themselves that he's easy to love. This guy over here is hard to love. I can have this perfect. This can be jacked up. When the whole time the scripture is saying, this is jacked up if this is jacked up. It's called self-deception. We deceive ourselves into thinking that everything can be jacked up with my spouse, but I can be okay with the Lord. No. Not, that's not the way it works. Like I said... I have great difficulty with God's design. Don't be fooled like those wives. What happens at the horizontal level impacts the vertical level. You cannot be unloving to your husband and love God at the same time. You cannot be subversive against your husband and submissive to God at the same time. Subversion, trying to oust your husband is trying to oust God. It's the same thing. They're paralleled. If you are a believer, get right with people and then you will be right with God. What's the scripture says? What does the scripture say about this in a number of areas? One thing that comes to mind is it says, before you bring your offering to the Lord, go and be reconciled to your brother. Pretty interesting, isn't it? You see how they're tethered and tied together? Don't come here and put, don't put something in that offering basket back there. If you've got a problem with your spouse, if you've got to reconcile that stuff, deal with that stuff before you bring your gift. Pretty amazing. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that this is cool when this is not. If there's no submission here, it ain't happening here, and don't you lie to yourself. Section three, the motive of submission. Verse 23a, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body... The wife's supreme motive for submitting to her husband is the fact that, her, uh, that he, her husband, is her functional head in the family, just as Christ is the head of the church. The head gives direction and the body responds. A physical body that does not respond to the direction of the head is crippled, paralyzed, or spastic. Likewise, a wife who does not properly respond to the direction of her husband manifests serious spiritual dysfunction. On the other hand, a wife who willingly and lovingly responds to her husband's leadership as to the Lord is an honor to her Lord, her husband, her family, her church, and herself. You know what absence of submission is? It is a dishonor to you, believing wife. Not just to God and everyone else. It dishonors you. And I would say this, that submissive wife, when she does this, it's also a beautiful testimony to the Lord and to the world around her. Now let's look at our last section. We're getting close to being done. Because it really is a, it's not a real crazy deep text. Section four, the model of submission. Verse 23b through 24. 23b through 24. Love that you guys are, look at this, just front rows, just taking notes and paying attention and looking at the Bible. It's so cool, man. And you other guys are doing that too, I'm sorry. They're like, oh, he's all about the front row. That's the only ones I can really see. I need to get new glasses. Carl actually has hair right now. That's how off my, my eyes are, you know. He's like, you know, I like those glasses when he wears them. He's, he looks good, Bob. 23B. And is himself its savior. 23B. And is himself its savior. 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything, wow. Not in the false modes of submission that I mentioned earlier, but really in everything. The supreme and ultimate model of submission is Jesus Christ himself, right? Who performed the supreme act of submission by giving him his own sinless life to save sinners like you and I. Christ is the savior of the body, his church, for whom he died on the cross. He is the perfect provider, protector, and head of his church, which is his body. Jesus Christ is the divine role role model for husbands who should provide for, protect, preserve, love, and lead their wives and families as Christ cares for his church. As Christ is the leader, provider, and protector of his church, a husband is to be the leader, provider, and protector of his family. A husband, and here's the thing where it gets real tricky because this, this is just, is, all of this has been, I'd say, countercultural, but this is where it gets really countercultural, and this is where the hair on our arms starts to stick up again. A husband is not under any circumstances, to share his role and priorities with his wife. He is not. If he does so, he is not living in God's will. He has been designed and, and called, commanded, to fulfill those things. What things? Again, leader, provider, and protector of the family. That's what he has been designed and created for, and called to do. That those, those things, are, they, dis, they belong distinctly to who he is. And he's not to, to divvy those things out, or to share them, or to impart some of them to his wife, so she becomes a provider, or any of those things. It's, she's not designed for it. It's, it's him. He is the leader, provider, and protector. It's, it's God's design, it's God's Order. The wife has been designed. And I would say, out of knowing my wife well and watching her for so many years and doing what she does in God's will in this area, I would say this is, to me, it just seems like a higher, more challenging, more difficult calling. She has been designed, called to fulfill a different set of purposes. Like supporting your husband? Tell me, ladies, can I get a witness? Is that real easy? Amen? Homemaking? Is that real easy? Okay, first of all, if if you've ever done that and you've been a a full-time at home, wife, you know how involved that is. You know that that is a 24-7. Your husband, he goes, hits a time clock, he comes home, has a bowl of chili, kicks his feet up on the lazy boy, bring me a beer, baby. You know? He clocks out when he gets home. You clock in. In fact, you clocked in in the morning when you got up to change that baby or to do whatever you did. No, 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 look, look, look. He's called to lead and to provide and protect. She's called to support, to to be a homemaker, which is a full-time crazy job to nurture children. Can I get another witness? That's real easy. You you want you want an example of a biblical wife? Go read the back end or the second half of Proverbs thirty-one. You will see an amazing example of a spirit-filled, God-fearing wife. All Christian women, all Christian women, should aspire to become like a Proverbs thirty-one woman. They should. Just as all husbands should aspire to be an Ephesians 5 husband, man. Or all men should aspire to be an Ephesians 5 man. Now I know it sounds archaic. I know it sounds old-fashioned. I know it's like, dude, you're taking us back to the 50s. Back to the future. You know what? It's God's design. It's God's design. You'll be tough to find one scripture that says it plainly. Just read the whole Bible and you'll get a really good sense of what God's design is for a wife and for a husband. Go back and look at the example of Abraham and Sarah, which is a fantastic one. Read Proverbs 31. I'll tell you this, I, I have no doubt that one of the reasons why so many marriages and families experience so much trouble today is because husbands and wives have forsaken God's design they have traded it for the world's model have I described you closing the pathway to a godlier happier more joyful more secure home is obedience to God's will It is the only way. The world tells us that we can get there through success, through splitting up and having her here and you here and earning and getting all the house and the accomplishment and the big and the better and the beyond and the money and and the possessions and all this. That's how we get to you know this maybe a godlier, maybe not a godlier, but to a happier, more satisfying, more fulfilled marriage. We get there through accomplishment and all these things. And you know what the world is doing? It is lying to us. We need to stop listening to the world and stop and start, I would say, listening to the word. And and I think that we need to develop an attitude that just wants to get these things done. I've got some exhortations for you as we wrap it up. And this would be to married married couples with children where both of you are working outside the home. This is for you. And like I said, I say this with with not one not a measurable amount of self-righteousness or hatred or anger or frustration or correction man it's not i get it i understand the world we live in i understand i get it i've been here i live here I, i live here i don't know if i told you guys that i live here with you i live here with you amongst you so don't don't read me wrong here i would just say this to the marrieds who were both out in the workplace, kids are away doing their thing. I'd say do this. Do what you gotta do to live in God's will. And I'd say begin by cutting your expenses, cut your cost of living. Move to a less expensive home if that's what you need to do. Do you really have to be where both of you are out working so you can have that particular house? And don't you, you know as well as I do, guys, and all you're all my friends, we, we get it. The world tells us more, 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 bigger, 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 and we fall into that. But are we l- really living at, 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 at a way that, that equals what we actually need? Or are we living, trying to live above and beyond that? And that forces us to make financial decisions and to have everyone working and doing their thing. In fact, you're trying to get your kids to go out to work to start supporting the household. No, you can't go to Long John's, Jimmy. You need to go. You, know, I need. You need. You need to get a higher-paying job than that. So we can. I mean, serious. This is the model of the world. I'd say, do what you got to do. Cut the expenses. Move to a smaller home. It, it, you know, if you have some debt, and and most of us do, if not all of us, pay off your debt while both of you are working as quickly as you can. And then, when the time is right, wives, come home. Come home. Don't be out there. You were created. I would say you were created for something so much greater than to go out and do what your husband's doing. Let him do it. That's what he's been made to do. Come home. Husbands, get a higher paid job. Do what you got to do. Fight. It's killing our marriages. It's killing our nation. It's killing our country. It's killing our churches. Guys, lead. Lead. I'd say this. Look, wife, if you leave the workplace, turn your home into your workplace. There's plenty to do there. Become a homemaker and transfer, transform your home into a sanctuary and place of refuge for your provider, for your spouse, for your protector, and for your family. But you can't do that if you're out working and getting hit by all the same stresses that he's designed to get hit with that you shouldn't be dealing with. You can focus on making your home a a place of refuge and safety for your husband when he's beat up by the world and out there working. You can make that place a place of refuge for your children and him. And I say this, if you can do it, if you're able to do it, bring them kids home. Bring your kids home. Well, I certainly hope he's not implying that I should homeschool. Hey, if you can do it, do it. Why? Because your kids need you more than anyone else. I don't have a problem against teachers. We have teachers at this church. I love them. But if you can, bring, bring your kids home and, and you educate your kids. You can control the parameters. And you know what? We do it. it. It works for us. And I think it's something that you might consider. Just bring them home. If you're not at the workplace anymore, wife, then, then they, there's no reason for them to be off at daycare or any of that stuff. If you can homeschool, do it. And, and, you know, they made it so much easier today. You get teachers and stuff. We do it, and and I'm like, how is this homeschool? You're driving all over every week. She does. She has to take them to certain classes and stuff like that. that, You know, you you might be thinking, well, I'm not much of a teacher. And I I tell you, we're not good at math. Ryan blows us away. Our, Our middle son, he's a genius when it comes to math. I'm like, one plus two is nine. But, you know, if they have coursework, they can go and do it so you don't have to, like, you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I don't know how to do these subjects. There's help. I'm just suggesting. I'm not telling you, oh, you better do this. Your children need your presence. They need it from both of you, parents. They need your presence. They need your care. They need your instruction. They need your biblical instruction. I'd say, too, you know, serve your community, serve your church, And if you have a little time over, wives, each week, I doubt you will. But if you do somehow, start a little home-based business. Make a little extra money for yourself. Make a little extra money for your family. You know what I've just described to you? The Proverbs 31 wife. And she does much more than I put here. And and I I know that all of us, especially you wives, we'd all agree that this is easier said than done, wouldn't we? Right? Right? You can amen that. It's easier said than done. But is it impossible? No. It's not. You see, if at the end of the day, husbands and wives, if we are filled with a desire for the status quo, we will continue to do what we've always done. We will do nothing about what we're hearing today or God's design if that's where our real heart and desire lies, just to be like everyone else. But if we are filled with the Spirit, our desire will be for the will of God. And we might just begin to discuss these things with our spouse. We might just begin to pray about these things. We might even seek to get a little counsel on them. and We might work on putting together a strategy. And you know what? We might work on getting after it. And I'll tell you this, if you do that, it won't be long before you find yourself smack dab in the middle of God's design and will for your life, for your marriage, for your family, and you will be experiencing a godlier, happier, more secure home. Might I add a more satisfying marriage. My exhortations for everyone else. If you're single, you've been given advanced warning. If you're married without children, I would just say this with all sensitivity: What are you waiting for? Maybe, maybe it's that you know the Lord just hasn't given you children yet. You've been trying, and I just want to be sensitive to you. Maybe that's that's where you're at. I mean, that's a challenge, and it's hard for you. Well, just be patient. But what are you waiting for? I just tell you, some of us aren't getting any younger. And I tell you, it's nice to have kids when you're younger. Because now it's like, you know, if I kick a football, it's two days in the ER. (laughs) Maybe three. That's what Bruce was actually doing last week. It wasn't a kidney stone that took him out. I mean, what are you waiting for, you know? And and what happens to us? We get caught up, you know, we're married and we can pay all this attention to each other, you know, and you know when kids come in, that's going to change. And sometimes we can act out of selfishness. A husband or a wife can and just say, well, I, I just don't want my husband not to pay attention to me anymore because or whatever. Usually it's the other way around. The husband's worried about the attention that he'll get. And that's just selfish. Children are fantastic to have. They're such a blessing. They're part of the grace of life what are you waiting for start having some kids we need kids in our children's ministry get busy (laughs) it's always got to be a selfish motive there for me we need to grow our church from the inside and and then my final exhortation would be if you're married you know and yeah i can't either thank god um (laughs) he's lying to us no i have three right there Here's another one, if you are married and a little older and your children have flown the coop, do whatever you want. I mean, I know you got a household and all that and submission, all that stuff still active and going, but do whatever you want. Heck, you can ask Rachel and I over for dinner. (laughs) What is the role and priority of the wife? She is to submit to her own husband as to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing, ladies. It's a beautiful thing. Next Sunday, we will look at the role and priorities of the husband. Yeah. Plan to join us. Invite your family and friends. Let's pray, celebrate the Lord's Supper, and sing one last song together. Cool?